Hello and welcome to volume three of Wrestling 20 Years Ago for October of 1998. And we are here in the land of extreme. And it's okay, you won't have to put up with just me going off on tangents on my own this week, or this month even, as I am brought a guest with me, the incomparable, the wonderful, the always extreme, Mr. Landstrom. How the devil are we, sir? Lacey, happy to be here. And, uh, you know, not to get myself over, but if I don't bring it up, nobody will. Let's let the celebration begin. This officially marks my two-year anniversary on the podcast. Um, appreciate that. We've come a long way since the Buried Alive match, and uh, we've got a long way ahead of us. See, you're getting there with some uh, some definite old-school kicks now. You know, Obviously, I'm the oldest or longest running active one still and there's obviously rory and it's probably a throw between the rest of you now with you being pretty much near the top of that hill you know but i'm just course, i'm just happy to be on the team but of course you know we have to have you because we need your legal knowledge especially when it comes to ecw and something that will be coming up in the news in a little while but it's not just that it's also the fact that, you know, you give us a wonderful expertise from the other side of the pond. And as always, you're always welcome here. So that being said, because I don't know which order the rest of the shows are for this month, because we're recording super early, I know that there will be a WWF show and a WCW show, but I don't know what's on them and where they're going. But, what I do know is we have some news. Yeah, and we have new and conveniently timed tag team champions. So the Dudleys take the tag team titles for a record fourth time as they beat Sabu and RVD this month. You will hear more when we do a full match review later on. And good news for you guys. Uh, finally, the UK can watch ECW without tape trading. Well, the old stuff, really. So yeah, ECW will now begin airing their old shows on Bravo across the whole of Europe um, for a limited run so far of six weeks of full weeknight showings. So obviously that's five nights a week for six weeks. Hopefully the ratings will be good enough for them to continue doing this and you know maybe even get to a point where we're not just getting old stuff, but we're getting the modern product too because these costs for getting videos across to me is getting a bit silly now in a month with um jack victory or i'm sorry with jt smith and 911 returning to ecw i was a little bit confused as to what year we were in anyway so and uh <laughs> let me turn on my billing clock here because taz's legal issues roll on so more on the misdemeanor from taz last month in that tanning booth the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette ran an article on the 21st of October reporting 
that Taz has waived his rights for a preliminary hearing and his next court date will be a formal arrangement in Pittsburgh next month. So, obviously, you weren't here last month to discuss what happened with him uh, exposing himself and asking a young girl to show her tits in a tanning salon. How much shit is Taz in? Man. Well, it could be a lot. Um, or what's more likely to happen in this scenario, What you know, no... Whether or not this is how it should resolve, it's probably how it will resolve, as these things typically do, is there'll be some sort of plea deal, and Taz will probably uh, get a relative slap on the wrist, um, and uh, if you ever do this again, we're going to throw the book at you. That's typically how it works, even with minor celebrities like Taz. If it doesn't go that way, to be continued, because this is a situation where there's some you know, pretty controversial allegations levied against uh the man from brooklyn and um uh, he could be in a lot of trouble but if i had to predict and i don't know but if i had to predict i would say this is going to get pleaded out and you won't hear about it again six months from now and it'll cost him a few grand yeah i don't i think he's probably going to be working a few more house shows to help uh, pay these legal bills that's for sure and uh ECW's ever-expanding uh, TV market has has some questions because we're wondering, Chris, will this New York TV deal ever get done? So ECW last month said that they had dealt a deal with WWOR to get the TV back on. Turns out it hasn't all gone through. So they released some information this month that the channel originally turned down their attempts to get a time slot on the station. The only time slots considered for ECW was going to be on a Friday or Saturday night. And ECW have said that they weren't interested in any of those time slots. They're making it hard for themselves. Especially in that New York market, man. Um, now we have some a little bit of cleanup here before we talk about the best story of the month. So, Chris, what are these odds and sods that you want to mop up with? So, it is finally... In record stores, the ECW CD was released this month. If you want to know all about it, you can listen to our review that is in the archives. They ran an ECW show in Buffalo, New York this month that drew over 3,000 paid punters, which who says the wrestling boom isn't everywhere? And finally, the January pay-per-view is going to be filmed in Orlando, in the same studio that American Gladiators has been taped. Oh, man. I hope they have a backstage brawl there. Uh, I'm right wanting to do the Travelator and stuff, and maybe, you know, instead of using kendo sticks, get the old dueling rods out. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe take the padded gimmicks off, though, because we don't need mats in ECW, right? <laughs> and, um, and uh, Chris, I'm going to let you explain this, because I've read this paragraph twice, and I still don't understand, but... Tell us about this uh, weird and wonderful world of wrestling involving uh, Howard Brody crawling back on his knees to Paul Heyman after ECW took a big old poop on the NWA a few years ago. So, yeah, Howard Brody of the NWA has recently proposed to Mr. Heyman that they unify the NWA and ECW titles. Original plan being the ECW champ wins the title, then, then dropping the NWA title back a few weeks later. 
Discussions broke down, however, after Heyman wanted Taz to be the champion before taking the ECW title for himself. The NWA are looking for some publicity. Not everyone in the NWA is in favour of working with Mr. Heyman and ECW, especially a, under the conditions of them taking the title first. And secondly, let's remember what happened a few years ago when Shane Douglas threw their title on the ground, spat on it, and, you know, basically wiped his feet with how awful the NWA was full of dinosaurs. Both sides would probably be wary of each other pulling such a double cross as well, which in a way explains why Heyman wants Taz to win the belts because Taz is a legitimate shooter. <sighs> wow. Um, I I don't think this is going to work out. Uh, this is just bloody preposterous. So, so if I understand correctly, Chris, let me just work this out. The NWA wants to unify back with ECW, which left the NWA in 1993 when ECW told the NWA essentially to go fuck itself. And then now, under the condition from ECW's perspective that an ECW performer would win the NWA title before unifying the NWA title with the ECW title held also by an ECW wrestler. Yes. So okay. <laughs> ECW would hold the NWA belt in ECW with ECW guys. And then, you know, the rest of the NWA are thinking, hang on a minute, we're probably not going to get the best end of this deal. Who would have thought such things? Well, you know, if nobody's ever accused Paul Heyman of being a ter perfectly scrupulous businessman. So anyway, uh, boy, if this deal happens, that's going to change the wrestling landscape, but I'm not going to hold my breath for it. That's for sure. Though it would be one of those moments of they do say never say never, but fuck. You've got to be fucking desperate if you're willing to go back to someone that shit on you from a great height like ECW did a few years ago to come crawling back going, please make us relevant again. Yeah, man. No, ECW run the other way on that. So it will be that time of the show where I go. Have you got some money that's burning a hole in your pocket this pre-Christmas time? Do you want to spend it on something awesome and wonderful? Then you can. For one solitary dollar a month, you can have early access to shows. This, being recorded on the first weekend of the month, will be up during the first for, or the second week. And for five of your dollars a month, you can have super exclusive, wonderful Patreon-only shows. This month's is a watch-along of NXT TakeOver London because myself, Chris, and Billy were all there. So it will be a full breakdown of the show. We'll watch along with the show. But what we'll also do is, for as much as I can remember, because I had been drinking quite a bit that day, remember how the event was, what was going on, everything around what was happening at that time, and give you a full experience of you know where we were how we enjoyed it and also you know go over the match so if you want to hear that five of your dollars will get you access to it and also our endearing and ever grateful love all you need to do is go to patreon.com forward slash wrestling 20 years or 20 yrs even and that is where you can get it and as i said one dollar a month gives you early access but for that five dollar tier you now get super awesome 
Patreon specials. Uh, this month, obviously, the NXT one. Uh, next month, we are going to do a live watch-along reaction to the NXT that happens before Survivor Series. Um, and also, you know, it's that time of the year. If I can get some time, I'll probably do a music one because I've got a couple of albums that Eric will want to listen to and go over with me. I have got the original wrestling album and Piledriver. Oh, sign me up for both of those. So, yeah, if you want to hear us go over that, you know what to do. Pop your hands in your pocket and get on the Patreon. So we will now go into the TV for the month. And we open up with the news, which I didn't put in the news because we haven't got full details of it. But Mike Orson has been severely injured and has an ACL injury. Early diagnosis is out for up to a year, but it's an ACL, so it could end up being a career ender. We then see the FBI versus Tommy Rogers, Chris Chetty, and a returning JT Smith. We don't actually see the end of this match, but I can sort of make out from what Joey Styles was saying that JT, Tommy, and Chris win. We then see Fonz give the new and nicer FTW belt to Taz, which he's had made for him and wants him to join RVD and Sabu. We then get the traditional title scenes. I don't normally talk about this. Why am I bringing it up? Because they have removed every single aspect of the Sandman from it. We still have Raven getting hit with a chair. We still have Foley and Funk in it. But they have literally removed every second that Sandman was in it. Clearly, they want to uh, make sure no one thinks about him. Sandman has a, a strong Bruno San Martino uh, to Paul Heyman uh, potential here. If they're taking him out of everything now, this could get ugly. Yep. We will discuss Sandman later on. We then have a match between Justin and Tommy Dreamer. Justin is out with Jason, Jack Victory, Lance Pri Ron Price, Lance Wright, Nicole Bass, and Chastity. Any more people out of him, I think every match is going to be a lumberjack match. Tommy is still fucked up and covered in blood from the caning he received on the last taping and has made it a street fight, which he comes with some friends. We get the reformation of the gangstonators who have toys. We get, as you'd expect, a wonderful weapons brawl with the faces getting brutal and even getting to the point where they beat down Lance Wright. Chastity manages to get involved. Cronus grabs her and smacks her ass. And then Nicole gets in and wants to give a kiss. So Cronus then low blows her. Tommy then canes Justin. New Jack gets the win after a top rope guitar shot on Ron Price. We see a guy from the ring crew kicking off in the ring as his broom breaks. Out comes a returning 911. He eats the chokeslam. Jeff Jones comes out praising 911 and puts out an open challenge. You know what that means. It's time to hear the dulcet tones of ACDC. Out comes Spike. Wins with an acid drop in seconds. We then get our tag team main event of the evening, which sees the triple threat going against RVD, Sabu and Tanaka. This ends as a no contest. Shane and RVD start with exchanges and blows and that takes them to the outside. 
RVD goes for a run, but Chris hooks him in the ropes. Chris then hits a plancher on Sabu and a triple jump splash on Shane. Bam Bam and Tanaka go at it with some massive clubbing blows. Tanaka hitting a roaring elbow and then all three beat down Bam Bam. Everyone goes at it until out come the Dudleys. They make it five on three. They 3D Tanaka and then they turn on to RVD and Sabu. Shane powerbombs RVD. Mikey tries to make the save, but Shane hits a belly belly to him. Jerry Lynn comes in to try and make the save, but he eats a nasty pile driver from Candido. The BWO make an appearance, only to get belly to bellied. And then we see Rogers and Chetty come in, only to be beat down by Bubba, who hits Bubba Cutters on Nova. Then onto Axel. JT Smith is now out. He gets beat down by Devon. That is until Taz comes out and makes the save. He lariats Bam Bam, then hits a T-bone on Chris. Shane manages to run away. As we go off the air, we see Sabu, Taz and RVD shake hands, embrace and pose as we go off the air. The triple threat is retreating. You can hear Francine screaming, pick your spot, pick your spot. They're not picking any spot. They're heading back to the locker room. Tez shakes the hand of Bill Alfonso. High fives, Mr. Monday Night Raw Van Dam. And what about Sabu? Triple threat here. Or do we? Look at Van Dam ready to jump Taz. No! Will you ever forget the night you saw Taz and Sabu embrace? We're about a month away from the November to remember, and we have got a new triple threat. So, in that first week's TV, we've had two returns. And most importantly, we have seen the formation of the new triple threat. What do you think about this, where we are so far in the story of finally, you know, Taz has decided he does need some help to take down the triple threat? Right. They've been building this for a long time. Um and really, you can trace it all the way back to Taz and Sabu um, in, like, early 97. Um, you know, it makes sense. Taz has to be a badass, but he also can't just be the dumb 1980s baby face or just tries to take on the entire heel locker room. I mean, he's been doing that for a little while now, and it hasn't really worked out for him. And I think it's fine. I, I'm not. I'm not too excited about what, uh, at the end of the month, ended up being a three-on-three main event uh, for the pay-per-view. I'm not a big fan of tag team main events for big, big shows, unless it's the, the, it really calls for it. And I just don't think that 
tying your six top guys up in the thing in the main event of your next biggest show is a good idea. We're going to get into that later. Um, the other thing that I, the reason they're probably doing it though is is it's clear throughout the month that Shane's arm is still pretty messed up. Um, he hasn't been able to train. You can tell that by his physique. He's wearing a t-shirt. His arm's always hanging it aside when he's not actively trying to use it in a match. And I think it's just maybe good, uh, maybe smart booking, if not preferred booking, hiding Shane behind five other guys who can work around him uh, if his arm's still months away from being fit, which it appears to be. Uh, so I, I would I don't prefer where this is going, but I like the storyline, and I like Taz finally coming to his senses. And what this does, too, is this inevitably allows one of those three guys, Taz, RVD, or Sabu, positions one of them or maybe two of them for a heel turn down the road, too, and really keeps the storylines in flux. ECW does a good job of moving guys up and down the card from time to time. And so I kind of like this, you know, Taz uh, showing some vulnerability and uniting with RVD and Sabu because then if he's turned on, then he can turn his rage once he's done with Douglas onto RVD and or Sabu. So I like what they're doing. I'm just not too thrilled about the main event, which we'll talk about later. That is true. I mean, as, as you've said, though, we know why they're doing it. You know, and it's a, a case of needs must for where they've sort of booked themselves into. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's one of those of at least it makes sense, which, you know, and a lot of time in wrestling, we don't get. So we open up week two show during the mi- during a match between Chris Chetty and Lance Storm. We see Lance Storm win after hitting a top rope spinning heel kick. We then get Jason and Chastity out with Justin going against Balls, who's with Axel. This is a no contest. Uh, it's a fairly good back and forth match. Post match, Justin Kane's Axel's ribs. Axel only recently coming back from surgery. We then get Bubba Vri Dudley versus Masayo Tanaka. A shot battle to start. Tanaka then goes in for a big headlock. Bubba makes his way out with some shoulder blocks. Tanaka hits a drop toe hold, which makes him hit the lowest turnbuckle. Then up top and hits a missile drop kick. Bubba rolls outside. Tanaka then tries to do a tope, but Bubba catches him and drops him on the railings. Bubba then goes to town on the outside. Tanaka manages to whip Bubba into the railings and then is hit with a running chair. Bubba blocks the second running chair and then Bubba rips at his face and they go back into the ring. Bubba hits some slaps and some elbows. Tanaka backdrops and then into a teardrop battery to back suplex, which gets a do count. We then break for the ads. We come back from the ads with Bubba putting Tanaka in a full Nelson. We get two arm drops and then Tanaka powers out, only for Bubba to do the full Nelson powerbomb and then hit a second rope sent on for a two. He then grabs a chair and Tanaka eats horrible chair shots but somehow manages to stay standing at this point the triple threat make their way out to the ringside Bubba then hits a corner splash chops and goes for the 10 punch spot but that's reversed as to a power bomb by Tanaka that gets a two count he tries to go for the t- tornado DDT but Bam Bam grabs his legs Bubba then hits a Samoan drop onto the chairs Tanaka then overshoots a jumping DDT. 
Tanaka then hits a corner flip stunner, which that brings in Bam Bam. Out come RVD and Sabu to help. They hit a leg drop and splash combo onto Bubba, and Tanaka gets the pin. Post-match, everyone brawls. The triple threat beat down Sabu and RVD until Taz comes and makes a save, beating down and suplexing every single member of the triple threat, and again, we brawl as they go off the air. So, we're, we're probably going to have to mention this most months. Tanaka and those chair shots. It, it can't be good. It's, uh, I mean, well, <laughs> he, he does it so often, it's like, if, if the damage is going to be done, it's already been done. So, I, I think it's just one of those situations where you just got to live with it if you're going to watch ECW. Uh, it's not going away. And they keep they they book him in the same match every time, and it's great because he's got the skill set for it. But they always put him against, or usually put him against a bigger guy who just leathers the shit out of him. And Tanaka always looks strong. If that's how he wants to book his matches, great. But I, I'm not convinced he's still going to be doing this even three years from now. No, it's it's one of those of you know, for the first two months seeing him do it was a feat of fuck me. How is he managing that? Well played, sir. Now it's a case of does he really need to take that level of damage every single match? We see a match at the end of the month where, at least for the first half of it, it's Masato and the Dudleys and, and Balls. And they do, a, it's part of the gimmick of the match, but they do about five or 10 minutes of technical wrestling. Dude's a good worker. And I, so I, I kind of, it's kind of been one of my criticisms of ECW all the time is good workers often reduce themselves to doing this brawling style because it's probably, it definitely elicits a better crowd reaction or a cheaper pop. Um, and it fits well within the ECW style and it allows good workers to work with poor workers and not have to carry them through a technical match. So, but you know, it's interesting is I think Bubba's a really underrated worker too. And so these guys, I think these guys had a bit of a sloppy match here. Um, I think with more time in the ring together, these two could have matches that aren't too different from Mike Awesome's matches with Masato because Bubba and Mike Awesome wrestle a similar style. Awesome's obviously a ton more athletic, but Bubba's a big hoss who can go. And um, yeah, and so I think that for Masato's sake, um, he can make his own choices, I guess, but for his sake, I'd like to see him try to expand his repertoire and save those chair leatherings for for shows where people are actually paying money to see it and say so, you know it's all well and good to him doing it on a pay-per-view and that's fine but every single spot show and house show um i was reading through the reports this month and every single one he was either against the dudleys post sort of this happening and pre this was against the balls and eating chair shots in that as well oh my so God. It's, it's you know these are in front of, and we said there was that three thousand sellout in in Brooklyn or in uh, Buffalo, right? Buffalo. But they're not doing that everywhere in front of a couple of hundred people or even a thousand people. You don't need to eat chair shots like that every single show. But as I said, he's come out of Japan. He's clearly a good worker because you know they train their guys in such a way that you can't not be good. But I, I would just like to see more of him doing the actual in-ring wrestling side of it more than just eating chairs. 
Well, and people are going to stop reacting to it after a while too. I mean, the, the 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 novelty will wear off, and those pops will reduce, and then he'll have to do something. Um, hey, Lacey, so I noticed something in this uh, October 10 Hardcore TV episode that kind of tracks with what you and I have been talking about. So. If- <laughs> Beer Saga, does ECW sell beer at their events? And where do they sell beer? And who controls the venue? Well, I'm not sure where this October 10th Hardcore TV took place. I didn't note that down. But what I did note was that during the Balls Justin match, there was a fan facing the hard camera, holding his beer up and toasting the audience. So, um, Paul, you got you to gotta be careful with that, my friend. Um, ECW obviously sells beer at its events. At, at its events, I think we have enough proof to go forward with that. Uh, with that assumption. Well, there's there was one thing last month. I didn't bring it up because of it, it sort of not being with you on there. But uh, in the last of Sandman's matches against Justin, he steals a beer from one of the fans and chugs it. <laughs> so clearly, they have beer in the crowd. I, I feel that, you know, I, I think they've got away with one, but they might want to, you know, not publicize the evidence that con- goes against what their argument is of we only sell Coke and Sprite here because we all know they don't. I think we can close the book on this case, Lacey. <laughs> so we go into week freeze TV and it opens up with an interesting promo which you'll hear now. Hold on a second. For the last few months, I've been out here in the middle of the show getting cheered for. I've been out here at the end of the show getting all kind of thrown at me. But the fact of the matter is, whenever I've been out here, I've been giving you guys the show. Hold on a second. Last time I wrestled Jerry Lynn, my arm was hurt, and this ain't about the triple threat. What the hell do you want? Wow. Look at that pump. Look at those guns. Wow, and you. Wow, you're so hot. You're hotter in person than you are on television. Oh. Jerry, you know, we've wrestled 14 times, and... You've won seven matches, and I've won seven matches. And I came to Philadelphia today expecting to wrestle you in the deciding match. But I get to the building, and I see that you're wrestling Chris Candido. What's the deal? The deal is, everyone back in that locker room has open contracts. You wrestle whoever you're told to wrestle. And if you can't handle that fact, get your chunky ass back to that concession stand. Mikey Whipwreck yet, and you're gonna realize that Mikey Whipwreck's not done with you either. That's fine. Well, it appears this rivalry is a little more heated than any of us thought. You notice Mikey's voice stopped cracking. He told Jerry Lynn he wasn't through with them yet. As I was trying to say, 
Jerry Lynn, the last time I wrestled you here in the ECW arena, you beat me fair and square, but my bicep was torn. You took advantage of an injury, and hey, that's fine. But tonight, this has nothing to do with Mikey. It has nothing to do with the triple threat. Shane, Francine, Bigelow, her. It has nothing to do with anybody but me and you. I want a fair and square match. What? What do you mean, me? What do you mean this has nothing to do with me? I'm out here every week supporting you. Second, wait a second. Hey, you're the most beautiful person in the entire world. I love you more than anything. You mean the world to me. But take your beautiful world meaning ass back to the locker room. Whoa! Be home tonight. Let me have this damn lunch. A side of Chris Candy that we've never seen before. Standing Let up to this Tammy. So, as you just heard, Mikey Whitbright comes out, says that he wants to have a match against Jerry Lynn because they're at 7-7. Chris then tells him to basically get lost. Jerry tells him basically to get lost. He'll fight whoever he's booked to fight. And then Chris tells Tammy to get lost. She doesn't seem overly happy by this. So we do get a match between Candido and Jerry Lim. This is only in highlights. I would have preferred to see the whole thing. But what I will do is give you a breakdown of how it finishes. So the match ends as Storm comes out and takes out the ref. He drops two massive pile drivers. And then Miss Bitch comes in and slaps Chris. This brings out Miss Sitch. Bitch hits her with a loader's purse. Then Mikey comes out. They have a brawl with Storm. Bitch throws the old-fashioned powder into Mikey's eyes. But she eats a whippersnapper. As does Tammy. Storm then hits Lynn with a chair. And Chris gets the pin. And because of this, we're going to have two referees at the pay-per-view. Tammy out here taking bumps, man. Never thought I'd see that in my life. And to be fair, she takes them well. Now she's got a good trainer. We then have a TV title match between Lance Storm and RVD. We open up with some chain wrestling. They exchange holds and reversals. Storm finally gets the advantage with some shoulders into the corner. That is until RVD whips him into the opposite corner and hits a rolling leaping monkey flip. He hits a super kick and then we go to the ads. We come back to RVD hitting a somersault into the crowd. 
back inside the railing, Storms takes advantage and hits a drop kick to RVD as he's about to springboard off the railings. Storm in the ring doing the RVD fingers. RVD gets back in. He goes up top, but he gets crotched. Storm then hits a German suplex with a bridge and gets a two. A big drop kick for a two. And then exchange punches. And then he hits a DDT for a two. The cartwheel splash. RVD then goes for the Van Daminator, but Storm dodges it. But doesn't dodge everything as RVD sweeps his leg whilst he's holding the chair. So he smashes himself in the face. And then RVD hits the corpulent screw leg drop on the chair too and gets a two count. RVD hits the chair skate drop kick, but misses the second one. Storm then hits a big chair shot and gets a two. Corner clothesline, and Fonzie and Storm then tussle over the chair. Storm get, eats a top rope sidekick to the chair to the face, which gets a two count. Then RVD goes all up top, hits the frog splash, and gets the win. Because how good this match is, I am going to take a break here and get your opinion on it. Can these two do anything wrong? Uh, no. Um, I mean, probably. RVD messes up pretty regularly just because of the risks he takes, but he always makes those look smooth. Uh, Lance, is Lance, can an argument be made that Lance is the best in-ring worker right now? I mean, the dude moves like a gazelle in the ring. He's just so fluid. He has no, I mean, he has no personality and his look is terrible. So, I mean, he's got to get those things figured out before he can even be an RVD level star. Um, but God, he's so fluid in the ring. So good. And he works a, you know, he works a high paced, high flying, but believable style. Uh, really fabulous. And so does RVD. These two guys, Let's just—it's the same thing we say about every RVD and really every Lance Storm match when they when they're put up against somebody half good, Jerry Lynn, Chris Candido. Just give these guys 15 minutes on a big show in any in any combination that you can, and let them go out and get over. Uh, you don't need gimmicks. You don't need interference. You don't even need a lot of chair spots and high spots. A lot of our RVD's offense is chair based, and that's fine because it's ECW. But let these guys go out there and just wrestle a 15 minute high-impact, ECW-style uh, wrestling match. And I think they could easily recapture that that magic that they've been seeking since they had uh, Eddie and Benoit. and uh, or Chris Benoit wasn't in ECW, was he? But they had Eddie and Malenko. Benoit and was there back in. What, like, uh, that's right, that's right. That's right, right, way early. Yeah, so Eddie and Benoit and Malenko and all those guys now that we rave every month on the WCW show about being the only good workers over there. ECW is right on the precipice of having another you know, era of guys of that in-ring skill. And they're ECW guys now, really, more than just Japanese and, you know, North American guys passing through. Um, ECW could really harness something with the amount of good work they have in the ring. Just incredible, too, without a stupid gimmick. So to be continued, this won't be the last excellent match we see between these two. And the thing is, you say there that, you know, Lance's look is bad. At least he got rid of that shitty rat tail. Well, they made him a heel. I mean, I, a, a dude looks like that, talks like that, and works like that. He's got to be a, a smarmy heel because all he has is his in-ring work, and all that's all he has to say is, "Look, I'm the best," and you know, and he doesn't have to be likable or anything like that. I think making Lance uh, basically giving him what Chris Candido's gimmick was this time last year thereabouts, 
that kind of whiny, solid in-ring worker. I think it really worked out for Lance. He's on I the think, he's on he's on the precipice of something big here. I think. I think after we sort of get past this feud with Candido, you know, um, I hope they keep Miss Bitch with him. Hopefully, they'll change her name or do something with her, though it's not a literal ripoff of Tammy, but. I think him having that aspect to him or giving him someone to be his mouthpiece because, yes, he's he's got better on promos, but he he doesn't sort of exude loads of character. He's very matter-of-fact, very precise. He's the sort of person that you give him a, a cornet or you give him a Heyman from back when he was, you know, poorly in... WCW, you know, you have someone that does all the, you know, the big oversell to it. You cut to him who then has two or three lines of, yes, I am that good. And yes, I'm going to beat you. He can be as monotoned and I hate to say it, but his promo style is quite dull as he likes because you've got that counteraction of having an overtop manager, you know. I feel that's what he needs. Yeah, I, I absolutely. And the other thing is ECW has done almost nothing with the television title for as far back as I can remember, really, because RVD has been tied up with the tag belts and in this feud with the triple threat. ECW really could have the strongest mid-card belt out of all the three promotions between the IC belt and the Fed, uh, being passed around between, you know, really in, in storyline, uh, and now with with folks being injured over there, that's up to, up for grabs. We'll see what happens. The U.S. belt, fuck, who knows? Over in WCW, and uh, but the TV title here in ECW that really could be the new workers' belt. I mean, talk about the NWA. They could just make that TV title kind of what the TV title used to be, which was the give them give it to the best worker and have that best worker work with all the almost the best workers. And no matter what, you know, you're going to have a card that has a great wrestling match on it, but mm. you got to get, you got to get the TV title uh, out from underneath this main event feud. Yeah. Hopefully, you know, the, the RVD and Sabu lost the tag belts this month. Hopefully post pay-per-view RVD will go back into doing more single stuff. And, you know, we could see him in much more matches against, you know, the likes of Jerry Lynn, Candido, Storm, you know, Credible. There's there's enough people that you can put him against because the thing with RVD is it doesn't matter who he goes against. He can go against a heel or a face because RVD is just cool. It, right. it, it, he's not heel or baby face. He is just RVD. So, you know, him being him means that he can just like, it's like, fuck it. I'll fight anyone. I don't care. You know, I'll beat you. I'll show off. Then I'll go backstage and smoke a joint. Yeah. He, it doesn't, it's not one of those. It needs a, a dynamic or a dramatic heel face reaction to it. It's a case of everyone knows RVD's cool and put him in against someone that can work and you're going to get a good match, which will send the crowd fans home happy. Exactly. Exactly. Just just get the TV title out of the main event and uh, main event, you know, picture, and let it be its own thing. Let 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 that belt be the thing that helps get people over. So, into something that isn't as high of a standard, we see <laughs> Justin 
with Jason and Chastity and Nicole against Tommy Dreamer in a death match. Justin jumps Tommy as they're getting into the ring and they brawl to the outside. Tommy's crotched on the railings and Justin back in the ring. He has a drop toe hold onto the neck of a chair. A corner drop kick to a chair and then Chastity comes in and does one of her own. Doesn't have much effect as she gets the Spicoli driver. Jason then is in and he eats a pile driver. And Nicole comes in and she eats a Russian leg sweep. Justin gets gets hit with the Dreamer driver and is about to get go for a caning when out comes Ron Price, who jumps Tommy. A power slam and double caning. Cronus comes out to try to save, but he gets beat down until he hits a double drop tick and a 450 on Price. This brings out Jack Victory, who beats down Tommy. Tommy gets hit with a spiked pile driver. This brings out New Jack, who's brought the toys, including some crutches, a bin, a guitar, and a VCR. Lance Wright eats a guitar. The faces then beat down them with all the weapons. Tommy and Justin and New Jack and Jack Victory brawl into the crowd. New Jack dives from the top of the bleachers through Victory, who is on a table. And at this point, we go to the ads. We come back and Justin and Ron are on top of each other as Cronus is about to hit a 450 splash. That is until one man gang comes out and shoves him off the top rope. Gang and Tommy have a brawl with the chain. He hits a massive splash onto Tommy and then one onto Cronus. This brings out Spike. He gets beat down and they bring in a table. New Jack smashes Jason with his chain. New one-man gang hits a belly-to-back suplex on Spike on top of a ladder. He then beats down Spike. Spike hits a low blow and hits the acid drop through the table and gets the pin. Again, this happened last month. How does a match between Tommy Dreamer and Just Incredible end with Spike Dudley pinning new one-man gang? Oh, I thought you were going to say by pinning Ric Flair um, in drag. Um, we I mean, fair is fair. We we not we because I wasn't on the show, but I I would hope my memory is correct that when WCW did finishes like this in '94 to get out of the Hogan Vader booking conundrum, that they were properly shit on for this. And like we give ECW a lot of rope because there's something different. Um, but I mean, what? Just have. Just have a match with all these guys in it. I mean, it doesn't matter. Just Just, say you're going to have eight on eight and everybody's just going to beat the piss out of each other. And then in the end, Spike's going over one-man gang. By the way, uh, I love the one-man gang, but um, he might be the only wrestler who's ever lost weight since going on to the Indies full-time. I mean, the dude looks great. Um, And he's still big as a house. Uh, And it's great to see him in there just helping get guys over. Uh, That's kind of what old dog wrestlers should be doing. I don't know how the hell this finish works. I guess it doesn't matter because it's TV and the crowd would pop and it's ECW. So I guess if we really want to kayfabe it, rules can change on the fly. Paulie just called an audible and said, okay, it's a battle royale um, death match. You know, first pinfall wins. Go at it. I don't know. <sighs> Who cares? This was fun. I was going to say, it is a wonderfully awesome little weapons brawl. It gets a little bit silly, but it's just <laughs> one of those of... Yeah. I- 
just just some sort of a reasoning for the way that a match can end like this. You know, as I said, make an audible, but get Joey to tell us. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, everyone's involved. And first pimple wins. Yeah. They did something like that, if I remember right. They did something like that a couple years ago, or maybe a year ago. It was at a a house show that was on fan cam, and I forget what it was, but it was basically a match, a gauntlet match or something, where everybody came in, and it was just a way to get everybody on the card and probably fill out time. They've done shit like this before. They could just have done it again. Yeah, it was was awesomely fun. You know, who doesn't like seeing uh, the gangsters smashing people over the heads with random bits of... uh, Home electronics, a table dive from the balcony, and Akeem, the African Dream, makes his uh, ECW return and looks wonderful for it, as you said. Speaking of uh, the WCW United States uh, title, former United States champion, the one-man game. Exactly. So we will go into week four's TV, which opens up with highlights of a match between Sabu and Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam gets the win after hitting greetings from Asbury Park. And when I say hitting greetings from Asbury Park, I mean hitting Sabu's head and neck on his knees as he's doing so in what looked fucking horrible. Both Shane and RVD get involved post-match. The triple threat and the Dudleys beat down RVD again, that is, until Taz makes the save. For some reason, they want to tell us that at the pay-per-view, it's a pick-your-own-partners match between Justin and Tommy. So for some reason, they want to lead us down this rabbit trail that it's going to be Funk that's going to be Tommy's partner. And we get the full video from when Funk left last year. We then have a match between Balls and Tanaka. Well, I say we have a match between them. The Dudleys come down and beat them both down. They then tell us that they want a real wrestling match, not with tables and chairs, but a good old-fashioned catch-as-catch-can wrestling match, and they won't get in the ring until their faces agree. Sneaky, uh, sneaky contender for promo of the year from Bubba here. By the way, just throwing that out there. Just making my making my verbal bookmark for when I'm going back for the year end awards. Bubba, Bubba Dudley here. He owned this this promo. It was great. And if even if Eric didn't know this, you're going to hear that right now. Ooh. For what reason are Bubba Ray Devon and Big Dick Dudley out here? What business did they have? Attacking Tanaka and Mahoney. Oh, I'm sure Joel Gertner will tell us all. Great. Wonderful, he's got the mic. The Dudleys have a statement to make. The Dudleys have no interest tonight in wrestling balls Mahoney. Because if their job was to make him look ugly, the mission has been completed. Bold Mahoney, you don't have to look in the mirror to realize that the first letter in ugly is you. As for Masato Tanaka, the Dudleys have been traveling the highways and byways, serving up nice big helpings of Tanaka 
teriyaki. They're done, they're passe. If there's a tag team in the back that thinks that they can take the Dudley boys, by all means, come on out, bring your pen and your autograph book. Hey, you walking cum sponge, shut your mouth. You fat, dumb, and ugly, I got something to say. You don't need to challenge anybody. You want to talk about you're such a great tag team, you're a and everybody in here knows it. And let me tell you this, all three of you are lucky that Just Incredible beat my liver to death and I was spitting up blood, or I'd get in there and wrap a chair around every one of your heads. But since we can't do that, you want to have an extreme fight in a battle? You talk about hardcore chair-swinging freaks. Three of the toughest son of a bitches in the world are standing right here. And I've seen, and you guys have seen, these two beat the living hell out of each other. Hey, Philly! Hey, Philly! Do you think it's time for these two crazy son of a bitches to beat the
You think Bubba Ray realizes that mano y mano means one-on-one? -on -one? So, the Dudleys go against Balls and Snacker. Balls and Snacker win after hitting a Tornado DDT and Nutcracker Sweets onto chairs for dueling pins. This match is awesome. And if you can get hold of it, please go out of your way and watch it. I wasn't going to do a full breakdown of it because when I do the breakdowns, it means I have to sort of pause the match and you know take my notes. I watched this match four times, <laughs> each time going, this time I have to keep pausing it to do notes. Each time I kept forgetting because I was drawn into the match. Just do yourself a favour and watch it. So, I, I saw that, you know, you, you made a mention of this earlier. Oh, yes. Other than yeah. Bubba's Oscar-winning promo levels, this match. I loved this match. And, and I really do think I, I only watched it really once and a half, one time while I was letting it play through uh, and taking some notes, and then one time... Uh, you know, more closely, but this match was set up great, and they actually set, stuck to the technical aspect of it for long enough to make me realize that, holy shit, all four of these guys, including Balls, are pretty good workers. Um, and we've been talking about Balls on the show before, and Dude doesn't necessarily have a reputation for being a technician, but he's not bad. Bubba's good. I think Devon's super underrated, and we've praised Masato Tanaka from every angle we can think of. Um, this match could have been just a technical match that ended in a in a clean WCW-WWF type of way. Of course, it didn't because it's ECW, and they needed to advance the storyline anyway. But in a match where you get to see the Dudleys versus Balls and Masato Tanaka is essentially just proving they can wrestle a traditional style match, and then a match that features both Balls Mahoney and Bubba Dudley combined weight probably 700 and 25 pounds maybe uh both doing planches uh from in the ring to out of the ring that is a scary sight um just a really fun match yeah this is this is the kind of stuff that i think if ecw tv was more consistent had more stuff like this on it less filler less let's recap the video from two years ago you know they would have a really solid hour of programming every week for what it is this was this was awesome i mean this might have been the best segment of the month just because of how wild it was and how many, it, you know, as a play in three acts played out over 20 minutes. Yeah, it is, is one of those of, with with this month's TV in particular, there's very few things that I would say, go out of your way and watch. The RVD and Spike, or RVD and Storm match is one, but this, if you're only going to watch one thing, make it this. Because this was fucking awesome. We then go into week five's TV. And we start the show with a tag team title match between RVD and Sabu going against Balls and Tanaka. Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure I said in the news earlier that the Dudleys won the match. How could they get into a title match? Well, that's because they jumped Balls and Tanaka on the way to the ring with chairs and beat the living piss out of them to the point of where Axel, Balls, and Tanaka are all pissing blood. 
So, Fonzie tells us that RVD and Sabu aren't scared of the Dudleys, and they'll give them a title match. So that's how we get it. We start with a quick pace as RVD hits spin kicks, Sabu hits an air Sabu onto Bubba. There's double teaming to Devon, and they Bubba and Devon get hit with double second rope sidekicks. Sabu hits a top rope Hurricane Runner on Bubba. Devon hits a massive crossbody for a two. They then hit Rolling Thunder onto Devon, and Sabu hits the triple jump to Devon, who's into the crowd. RVD hits a springboard splash onto Bubba onto the floor. Back into the ring, they hit a double splash, which gets a two. RVD hits the Van Daminator onto Bubba. RVD then tosses the chair to Sabu, but accidentally smacks Sabu in the face with it. RVD then hits Bubba with a chair. He then puts Devon in the corner and hits the surfboard. During this period, Sabu dives off the top rope and smashes a chair onto Devon's head and also cracks Bubba in the head with a chair whilst wearing a chair. <laughs> we then go to the ads. We come back with RVD hitting a springboard cannonball into the crowd onto Bubba. We see Sabu missing a triple jump splash and going through a table on the outside. This brings out the triple threat. They beat down on Sabu. Bam Bam then hits greetings from Asbury's Park again. Shane puts on a modified inverted camel clutch. That is, until Taz comes out. The triple threat then jump him on the way out. The Dudleys hit a 3D on Sabu and become the new champions. So, we'll quickly break down this brawl, because it's pretty much all we can call it. It wasn't really a, a technical classic. This is what I like to see with the Dudleys. You know, they're aggressive, they're brutal, they get the job done. They've forced their way into a match. But how brutal was that beating down of Tanaka, Balls and Axel at the beginning? Oh, it was, uh, it was Japanese deathmatch level stuff. I mean, Tanaka looked like he got run over by a garbage truck. I mean, it was... They really... I don't know if he bladed or, or, or maybe he has some old wounds that they can easily open up like, you know, a Ric Flair, or Dusty Rhodes. I'm not sure. But however they did it and how short of an order they did it in, yeah, it looked like a, a true back alley beatdown. And it really sold that, oh, God. You know, and Joey did a great job later in the show, too, and we'll get to it, where even Joey was like, look, Balls and Masato Tanaka have a, ta have a tag title match at the pay-per-view, but they have no chance due to the beating they took tonight. So don't even think about it. Uh, you know, write that match off completely. And really selling the beatdown, not as one that was just going to take them out of this match on this show, but give them no chance uh, at the pay-per-view. Lacey, do you think that um, Paul Heyman woke up the morning before he booked this match and realized that the main event of his pay-per-view involved the World Heavyweight title, the Tag Team titles, the Television title, and the fake FTW title, and none of them were on the line? And he thought, you know, it's probably going to be hard to sell a pay-per-view with literally zero championships on the line better get them back on the Dudleys uh this game this seemed to come out of nowhere uh this tag title switch just in time to say you have a title match on your pay-per-view yeah it's one of those of I can see why they've done it in the way the reason they did it this way um obviously as mentioned last month in the news that 
the November to Remember is being shown in Japan on pay-per-view. Sure. So you need to have at least some reason for you to watch the Japanese people to watch their Japanese guy. Obviously, it, it it's a bit of a hard sell to say that Bulls and Axel or Bulls and Tanaka could beat RVD and Sabu, but you could see the Dudleys doing it, especially with you know the help of the Triple Threat, which then means the Dudleys versus Bulls and Tanaka there's more chance of them taking the titles there in that sort of a match instead of against who they, who the champs were. Right. So a, you've got your, your level for your Japanese fans to go. I want to see this because our guy in a tag team title match. But yeah, as you said, it also means that there is actually a title match on a, on what technically is their biggest pay-per-view of the year. They, because the November to remember as a show has always been the one that they build to, the biggest, even when it was just a a home video special. Right. It was always their pinnacle. It's the big thing, ends of the year. Because pretty much after November, remember, you know, it sort of dies down a little bit. For example, they do a few shows in November, post it, but, you know, they don't really do a lot in December and it then builds up till for January. So you have to have a marquee title match at your big show of the year. And unless you were going to do it where all the titles are on the line in the main event of the show with the triple threat, triple threat match, which you're not going to do that because I can't see them taking the title off Shane and wasting the Shane Taz match, which has been building for most of this year. And why would you then take all the belts off? Right. RVD Sabu and Taz just to give them to the triple threat. So they had to do something. And, you know, it makes sense to do it this way. And let's face it, the Dudleys don't need the belts, but, you know, they do deserve them. I, I agree with everything you said. I guess I'm more just questioning the timing of it because for all the reasons you point out, and there, your reasons are all great, I think they've, that ECW's booked themselves into a corner here and that, so you put the belts on the Dudley boys who are your most, I mean, truly your most over tag team and the most cohesive tag team in the company. And so either they lose the belts to a team that was just put together a couple of weeks ago, only a couple days after this airs. And it kind of not only diminishes the Dudleys, but it diminishes the belts because now you're hot shotting. But like you said, trying to appease and expand the, uh, the Japanese audience, it's going to be tough to have Masato Tanaka not go over and win the tag belts if you're trying to, you know, to, to grow a global audience. So something's got to give here. And I, I'm not a big fan of hot-shotting belts as it is, but I'm not sure. I, I understand why they did this. I would have liked ECW to have a little more foresight with where they were going with this and maybe pull this off a couple weeks or even last month um, before they did this in order to give uh, the Dudleys a little bit of a a rain here if they are going to drop the belts. And if they're not, um, then do something else with Masato Tanaka to put him in a featured spot that's not going to involve the L, taking the L. So uh, we'll see. Uh, But something's got to give here. uh, And I wouldn't have booked it this way. So next we see... Jack Victory going against Tommy Rogers. 
Yes, you heard me right. Jack Victory versus Tommy Rogers on your last week's TV, building up to your biggest pay per view of the year. The uh, the Elks Lodge in Medford, Oregon, is missing its main event, so we'll have to find somebody else. <laughs> yeah. So Jack Victory is seconded by Justin, Jason, Chasty, Ron, and Jack wins with a belly to belly suplex. This match was shit. Post match, Justin beats the shit out of Tommy Rogers. That is until Mr. Dreamer makes the save. We then get a promo from the Triple Threat, which you'll hear now. So Shane tells us that RVD's bell ain't worth shit. Taz's bell ain't even real. And on Sunday, he's going to make Taz his bitch. We then see New Jack telling us that he is Tommy Dreamer's partner and he's going to beat Jack, Jack Victory's ass. And obviously tells us about the last pay-per-view when they were meant to have a match, but he got beat down before the show. To end the promo, Jack Victory smashes a chair over his head. 
We then get Joey running down the full card and history package as we go off air. You will hear all of that at the end of the show. I'm going to end the show with that because it is a really, really, really good bit of promo. Uh, at that point, they run through the announced matches for the pay-per-view, which is the mystery tag partner match between Just Incredible and Ron Price and Tommy Dreamer and his partner to be decided. The Dudleys versus Balls and Tanaka. The Triple Threat versus Triple Threat match. And in one of the weirdest booked matches... Jerry Lynn versus Lance Storm. Good so far. Special guest referees, plural. Ooh. Tammy Lynn Cinch and Mikey Whipwreck. Oh, that's bad. It started good and ended bad. But we'll decide that in a little while. As we go off the air, we hear from Mr. Dreamer, and you will hear that now. You know, New Orleans has been kind of infamous for Tommy Dreamer. The first time I was here, I lost my girl. Second time I was here, I got laid out. But this time, it's my time. It's my time for revenge. It's my time to shine. And trust me, I mean every word that I say. Just incredible. Jack Victory, don't worry who my mystery partner is. Worry how much of November you'll never remember. So we are all but days away from, as I said earlier, you know, probably the most important pay-per-view of the year, or at least the most important big show historically of the year for ECW. And we're going in with a card with only four matches. Eric, how have we got to this point? Not only are there only four announced matches, but three of them are tag matches. Uh, so that's, mm, we know how, we know how Paulie loves to book his tag matches uh, with the amount of main events the Dudleys have been in over the time. But uh, I don't know if this is supposed to be their WrestleMania, their Starcade. Um, this doesn't look. This looks like a. You know what was that? It was. Was it June '96 International Incident Pay Per View, July '96? This is the type of main event that you put on a show that's building to a bigger show, and so I would have liked to have seen this maybe on the January Pay Per View, building up to Barely Legal Two or Barely Legal Three in April, um, something like that. Um, but. For what this is, ugh, I'm not inspired. I'm really not. And then we were making fun of it a little bit earlier, but Lance Storm versus Jerry Lynn. Yeah, give me that all day. But again, we're we're gimmicking it with Mikey Whipwreck and Tammy Lynn as the special refs, which just means this match is not going to be Lance and Lynn going at it for 15 minutes, which I'm still convinced that's what ECW needs, especially on this card, which features what appears are going to be three walking brawls uh, with multiple people in each match and then probably fill it out with some undercard stuff, which will probably fe fe uh, feature the BWO and the FBI, so more tag teams and more factions, right? So, but uh, I don't know, Chris. I was really excited, really excited about the last show um, in August. I'm, I'm as unexcited about this one. Can you sell me on this, or are you feeling the same way? See, I, I have mixed a bit feelings on this because I – 
the build and story and where we've got to with the triple threat, triple threat match, I'm I want to see it play it play out. But at the same point, I know why they've done it. Clearly, Shane's come back way too early. Oh, he looks terrible. I I don't know who said that it was a good idea that that Shane come back at this point. You know, he should have another three or four months off if needs be. You know, there's no point in him coming back in this shape and working hurt for this because you could have quite easily had put you know taz with someone else you don't have to put him with sabu and rvd against bam bam and candido with shane being at ringside you've still got that build of at some point shane and taz are going to go at it for the world title you don't need you didn't need to have to push him this hard to get him back into it i know originally the plan was you know if all had gone well was going to be sabu shane or no not sabu shane taz shane title versus title and have then you know the ftw world heavyweight title which is obviously a made-up title versus the actual world ecw world title and you know winner gets gets the spoils but that can't be done. Shane Shane's not in a place where he can do that. We've seen this month when Taz has done the run-ins. Shane takes a a gentle T-bone, always to the to the left hand side, so it's not on his bad arm. He's wearing rolls a shirt, out and, and then doesn't get involved. He's been wearing a shirt. Uh, one of the promos this month, he comes out with his arm brace still on. And it's it's a pretty fucking big arm brace. Ugh. You you wouldn't see this in the Fed, and you wouldn't see this in WCW. This is those times when it just it makes ECW look cheap. It makes ECW look small time because they've gone instead of because they've had they've had months to do this where they could have gone right. Shane is not going to be ready. What do we do? And, and found another way around this. But instead, you're forcing Shane into a match, though knowing Shane, he's probably decided that he wants to come back because, you know, he thinks that he's ready. Into a, a main event where, before the last week's TV, every single one of your titles is in one match. You're going to have a pay-per-view with no title matches. Nothing is has got any real gravitas behind it except the justin and tommy thing and it's just all very much a bit of a damp squib well what i found it really weird too that they were you mentioned it briefly the joey styles trying to talk everybody into it being terry funk who's going to be the part tommy dreamer's partner but then saying oh no this is just wrestling fans speculating as they do probably a little bit of a jab but old mr dave uh melter uh, but, um, uh, you know, they, they don't even have four full matches announced. They have three matches and parts of a fourth match announced. And uh, I'm just, I'm just worried. And, and it kind of brings me wondering and shock horror that I'd ever think this, but I never realized that like the Sandman's absence would be so glaring on a card, especially when you have so many guys tied up. I mean, you could have the Sandman here just as a, as a name, in a match 
that he could just go over. I don't know, have the Sandman against somebody, and that would help fill out the card, at least give it a little name value. I'm just surprised that you know one guy's departure um, could cause this much of a void uh, on a on a card, irrespective of how poorly constructed I think this card is so far. Um, really weird that we're thinking that we need the Sandman to help lend ECW some star power. I don't know. That said, we've said this about ECW shows before, about how the card looked a little ropey on paper, and then it came together and was the best show of the year. That could still happen here. I mean, they've got the talent to do it. They, they definitely have. Um, but it's, it is like, as you say, this tag match with for Tommy and Justin. Could that be the Sandman, it's... maybe? I'm wondering that, too. Because the Sandman and Justin have beef going back a couple months. I'm wondering if it could be the Sandman who could be Tommy's partner. I'm just throwing it out there. Well, as a, as a one last showing before before he goes off to WCW. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would have thought that if maybe he was not so sort of deleted from all things ECW. Because even in the packages, they've stopped showing, you know, any of the Sandman and Justin stuff and Tommy making the saves that way round. I think they have well and truly burnt that bridge. Okay. But it's, I don't get why it has to be a tag match. No, I agree with you. You could quite, if you want to do a gimmick match with it, you can quite easily do, I don't know, a ladder match with the cane hanging from the ceiling. First one gets it can beat the shit out of the other. You don't, and, you know, yes, Justin's going to have his entourage of, you know, Jason, Chastity, and Nicole. But why the fuck do we need Jack Victory and Ron Price in this shit? Yeah, it's weird. They're both fucking 80s jobbers. And they really look out of place. But there we go. Um, it's one of those of hopefully, you know, the unannounced matches will... Uh, bring the card up hopefully because as i said we've, we've had somewhere we've looked at it on paper and gone oh fuck this is going to be an absolute ball ache and they've actually turned out to be rather good i'm hoping for that and not a case of it being a big old pile of shit well the good news is with jack victory being in a match already he can't face tommy rogers again so at least we know we're not getting that match at the pay-per-view that is true because i i never want to see that shit ever again so, one last thing for this month. Obviously, we've just mentioned it. Sandman, obviously, as I said, very omnipresent this month for the fact of him being taken out of all vignettes, opening packages, and all that. You know, I, I would say that it looks as though it is a definitive him going. Um, obviously, he is off to WCW. He has signed that contract. Obviously, I know all the way through doing this show, we have chastised how shit he is in the ring, how awful his leg drops are, how the fuck does he manage to keep going. But he is so synonymous as the guy of ECW. What are your, your thoughts on hearing that he is, he is off to WCW? <sighs> What is WCW going to do with the Sandman? Where, where are they going? To, I couldn't think of a worse fit. I mean, the Sandman is a guy who, who's all—it's a great gimmick, but he's all gimmick, and his gimmick is everything 
including that ECW crowd, the ECW arena, the beer, the the cigarettes, the music. I mean, WCW is owned by a television conglomerate and they have to pay rights fees and they have to pay this and that. And I just don't understand how the Sandman stripped of all of that and left only with his, you know, week one wrestling school in ring capability is going to do anything to get himself even half over as what, as he was in ECW. So I don't think it's going to work out at all. That said, I'm never against anybody getting paid, especially in a business like the wrestling business where your careers are short, you don't have insurance, your bodies are beaten, and it's super cutthroat, especially now, because there's three companies that are all kind of jockeying for position, well, two, and then one kind of, you know, a distant third. But for the Sandman to take everything that he's done and get paid, as long as he makes it through that first contract with WCW, he could be darn close to being set up for life, or at least set up comfortably for a post-wrestling you know, life. So good for him. I just don't see it. I just don't see how it's going to work long term. But keep cashing those checks, Sandy. Good job. I am partially waiting for the uh, WCW knockoff version of Enter Sandman. Because obviously, oh, Jim, the, Jimmy, Hart's, Jimmy Hart's working around the clock. Though it's it's going to be one of those. I, I don't know what they do with him there. But obviously, you've seen a lot of ECW. What is there anyone other than maybe Tommy Dreamer that? epitomizes the little engine that could that is ecw because obviously you look at some of the guys there you know your, your candidos rvds even sabu and and shane and taz and they've got legit wrestling styles that you can go take them out of here put them in japan take them out of here put them in the fed or wcw in the mid card you can see what they would give to somewhere else and the fact that they're good. Mm -hmm. Sandman has never shown an ounce of amazing wrestling ability or even competent wrestling ability. You know, he is a walking brawl. He is, you know, awful at jumping leg drops. You know, he is... As I said, he's the epitome of ECW and the little engine that could. From an ECW perspective, I think this really hurts. Um, we talked about it when we were running down the November to November card. There's a there's a hole there in that card that Sandman versus really anybody on the roster just for the sake that he's the Sandman. It's like it's exactly what you said with Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer can be in the main event title match, or he can be down working with underneath guys as long as the story is good. These guys are homegrown ECW guys, and the, the the crowd will accept them wherever they are on the card, and will be over for whatever match that is. I mean, if there's anything we can say about the Sandman, it's that he's over in front of that crowd. Nobody can deny that. So having him gone from an ECW perspective really hurts, um, and they're they're never going to be able to recapture that that type of magic, I think, because the, the, that thing it's kind of like what you're seeing with Austin now in the Fed, just on a you know, obviously a much smaller level, but it's tough to recapture that again. You kind of have to grow it organically and then it either works or it doesn't. So ECW is going to have to find something else to fill that void if the Sandman is truly gone forever. Now, that being said, 
talking about WCW and where he fits in. We've seen this at least twice before that I can remember. We saw it with Sabu and we saw it with Public Enemy. Both you know, both in, in Public Enemy's case and in Sabu's case, all all performers kind of of the same style of Sabu, at least from a, or as, from as the Sandman from a from a large scale perspective. ECW guys, tables, chairs, violence. Not the most technically skilled in the ring. Sabu can if he wants to be, I guess, but still. And those guys have all fizzled in WCW in really short order because they can't do their thing that got them over and kept them over. So I don't know whether Sandman finds home in the Fed where maybe he can do more of his his gimmick, although they already have one beer-swilling guy over there, so I don't even know if that would work. So I don't know if we've seen the last of the Sandman in ECW because the last two or three people that have gone to WCW have ended up back in ECW in pretty short order. So that remains to be seen. But again, uh, you can't blame the guy for getting paid. No, as I said, I think the, looking at it, I think the only way that you do anything with him and actually give him a purpose is if you you take what he does in ECW and do like the violence and extreme side and hardcore wrestling and maybe you know do it, but a very much tamer PG thirteen version of it than you know the R rated eighteen aged version that is ECW. Because I really don't, I really, really don't know what you do with him, or even how how you book him. Because he's he doesn't look like a wrestler. He doesn't look like a guy that's gonna go against the DDP or fuck it, even even a flare. You're not gonna put him in against Hogan or anyone who's near the top of that. He's what fodder for Goldberg in his ever-growing streak, and then what left with the flock? I think that yeah. I mean, uh, Sandman and Hogan is not happening. Uh, it's that simple. So, if Sandman and Hogan is not happening, if Sandman and Flair is not happening, Sandman and Sting. I mean, you can go down the list of all these matches that aren't going to happen, and it, at a certain point, you realize. This guy's going to be working on a lot of Saturday night uh, tapings uh, or and Thunder um, if they don't figure out what to do with him quickly. Uh, we'll see. This is one to watch out for. We'll see in six months if you and I are eating some crow on this and Sandman's you know getting over as the as the U.S. champion. Uh, we'll see. Weirder things have happened. Yeah, it's one of those of I wish the best for him, but I just don't see it. Mm-mm. So that leaves us with that wonderful time of the evening where it's time to pimp away and plug anything that you feel needs a good plugage. Well, uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at modern day lawyer. Um, this show, check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash wrestling 20 Y R S. Uh, the guys, uh, Chris, Chris and Rory have uh, really uh, been putting a lot of thought and effort into the Patreon and it's going to be really awesome. Once, once things get moving forward, uh, get in early for that because I think you're going to regret all the content, all the extra content, uh, that you would miss. And also, you know, while I'm shilling, shill away, um, iTunes, uh, if you leave a review, it can be five stars. We would prefer that. And also, if you do leave a five-star review, say anything, put a comment in there. It doesn't matter. It's all about an algorithm. But our show tends to do better in the metrics if there's a rating and a comment. And so five stars plus, you know, anything you want to say really helps us out. It takes you no time at all. You can do it right from your phone. But it really does bring a smile to our faces to know that uh, the listeners are uh, 
are giving us some feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, as long as it's five stars and you leave a comment. Yeah, I can only agree there with what Eric has just said. Um, all feedback is always worth it. Um, obviously, with the Patreon stuff, if you know you have any questions about it or any sort of sort of shows that you'd like to hear, because I said um, earlier, sort of at the fifth anniversary, we did put out a few free tasters of what sort of thing we will do on the Patreon. Obviously, we did the ECW album review. Um, so yes, there will be more crossovers with Show and Tell with Tunes. Um, obviously, Eric will be joining me for some very classic WWF albums. Um, watch alongs. We're obviously, as I said, we're doing NXT this month from the London Takeover, and we're going to do a modern watch along with the Summer Slam or Survivor Series Takeover next month. You know, if there's any. Thing, if it's on the network or even if it's not on the network and we can find it on YouTube, we will do watch alongs to stuff. Even match review, anything, you know, if you want us to do something, just hit us up on either the Facebook or the Twitter. Um, everything gets read. You know, I, I do the Facebook side of it. I read everything that comes through on there. Rory does the Twitter side of it. I know he does the same. He reads everything that gets said. So, yeah, all feedback, all contributions, and all comments are always welcome. It leaves me to do one little more morsel, which is shill my own doings and go listen to Show and Tell with Tunes. Um, all my music on music this month. Um, this month, I have three guest episodes booked in. Um, so, all the guests in. And if you are one of the people that doesn't get this on the Patreon and are waiting at the end of the month, there's a little Slayer special coming out uh, just at the, for the weekend when I go and see Slayer live on their last full UK tour. And at the moment, I've whittled it down to a 35-song playlist, which is just over three hours. I don't know if I can whittle any more out of it, but it's going to be fun if you like it heavy and brutal. That, that is at Show and Tell with Tunes on iTunes and on Podbeam and all other wonderful podcast sites. And a certain Mr. Landstrom would have already been a guest on one of the shows this month, bringing a wonderful selection of what he's termed dad rock. Oh, we're so, going to alienate some people in your fan base with this one, I, I think. <laughs> but as you said, if you want to hear that, you know, as I said, we have, we've had Rory on, Eric's been on, you know, it is a free playlist every single week. You know, I don't expect you to like every song, but if you find one song that you really like, I've won. So, as I said, for the rest of this month, there is a WWF show, which is Judgment Day, I believe. And there's a WCW show, which, as it's October, will be Halloween Havoc. Um, I don't know which order they're going up in, but you will find them very shortly. And until next month and November to remember, I bid you adieu. Tommy Dreamer is keeping his mouth shut. Tommy Dreamer has sworn revenge on Just Incredible and now by association on Jack Victory 2. But Tommy Dreamer refuses to play his hand until this Sunday night live on pay-per-view. At the sixth annual November to remember, Tommy Dreamer, one way or another, he's not saying, 
is going to get revenge on Just Incredible and Jack Victory. Plus, not one, but two special guest referees in Mikey Whipwreck and Tammy Lynn Sitch as Landstorm goes one-on-one -on -one with Jerry Lynn. Already an outstanding athletic contest, but with Tammy Lynn bitch at ringside, Tammy Lynn Sitch in the ring as a referee with Mikey Whitwreck, all hell is going to break loose. And then, our other two main events do indeed make a statement regarding the State of the Union here in ECW. The Dudley Boys are now the ECW World Tag Team Champions for a record time fourth time. But they don't deserve to wear the belts because on their best day, the Dudley Boys can't beat Rob Van Dam and Sabu. And they did. It took the triple threat to put down Rob Van Dam and Sabu. Furthermore, Balls Mahoney and Masato Tadaka could beat the living hell out of the Dudley Boys any night of the year, except this Sunday night. I'm supposed to hype the pay-per-view. I'm supposed to tease title change, title switch. You're going to see new tag team champions. No. Any other night, maybe. Tanaka and Mahoney are in the hospital with concussions, with blood pouring out of their skulls. They can't take any more shots to the head with chairs, and you know the Dudleys are going to pick up those steel chairs, and a referee would have no choice but to throw the matchup out, and the Dudley boys will still wear the ECW World Tag Team title belts. No. The story this Sunday night is how much power can Shane Douglas truly attain? He's paid off the Dudley boys, they've got the gold, and they'll keep it this Sunday night. But this Sunday night, Shane Douglas, Bam Bam Bigelow, Chris Candido, the triple threat, challenged by Taz, Rob Van Dam, who is the whole effing show, and a man who, despite a neck that's been broken, battered, and beaten, Sabu, who will be in the ring, it all happens this Sunday night. The power struggle happens at the 1998 November to remember.